Welcome to Coindesk's Women Who Web3 podcast, your weekly podcast celebrating women supporting women, investing in women, and bridging the gender gap in wealth through Web3. Blockchain technology can be anything. That's what they're doing. They're here to support other women, and they are supporting themselves in the process. They said 70% of Latin Americans are underbanked or unbanked. 51% are using crypto. And we actually have a country, Iceland, who is at 90% parity. And guess what they have? 12 months maternity leave. Isn't that gorgeous? Women, do you want to wait 132 years to have a year maternity leave? I don't. Go from can't to can. I'm your host, Cams, and I'm on a mission to empower women across the globe to unlock the unlimited potential and earning power inside themselves through Web3. Whether you're just crypto curious or a crypto connoisseur, this podcast is for you. Let's get it. Hi, and welcome to Women Who Web3. It's your girl, Cams. On this week's show, we're graced with the presence of Nilmini Rubin and Betsebe Botaitis. Nilmini Rubin is the Chief of Staff and Head of Global Policy for Hedera. Previously, she worked on the global policy team at Meta, and before that, Nilmini headed Tetra Tech's global team, implementing energy and internet projects that resulted in millions of people gaining access to electricity for the first time. For 12 years, she served as a senior aide on both the U.S. Senate Foreign Relations Committee and the U.S. House Foreign Affairs Committee, where she spearheaded the passage of legislation to provide electricity access in Africa, increase global internet access, reduce corruption through transparency, and reform U.S. foreign assistance. She's an advisor to the Women's Democracy Network and the Energy Growth Hub and a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, the Academy of the Global Teacher Prize, and the International Mindfulness Teachers Association. Betsebe is the newly appointed treasurer and chief financial officer at Hedera. She was born in Guadalajara, Mexico, during the Mexican peso crisis in the 1990s. The crisis left many families in financial ruin, and after witnessing her family being negatively impacted, she enrolled in a six-month course to become a bank teller at 14 years old. Betsabe began her career as a bank teller at Citibank and rose through the ranks, growing more interested in fintech and financial inclusion as her career progressed. She has since held senior positions at companies like Citigroup and Lending Club. Botaitis is a member of High Power, a network of executive women leaders in Silicon Valley, and she was recently awarded NASDAQ's top honor at the annual Latina Disruptors event. Above all, she is a passionate advocate for economic equality has been working in blockchain since 2016. Welcome, Betsabe and Nilmini. Thank right. you so much for having us. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you so much. So something we are so excited to know is what gets you up in the morning? We'll start with Nilmini. What, I'm, what I realize gets me up in the morning is um, that I'm surrounded by love. Like I wake up in this this room with my husband and my dog and the kids come in and I just I'm so excited to be with them and to have the opportunity to work in a space that's like helping make the world better for them um that I just I wake up feeling very warm and loved 
That is so precious. I, I feel the same way. I wake up every morning with my gigantic golden doodle, my little 11-month-old baby, and my humongous husband. He's 6'3", Guatemalan, and wow. it's just, it's a lot of love. It's a lot of love in the bed. I love that. I relate so much. Betsabe, what gets you up in the morning? Well, literally, my seven-year-old daughter. Um, <laughs> time to wake up in my tiny multi-poop. But really, when things get tough and I, I want to be in bed, what wakes me up is this inner passion and desire to be an inspiration to others, especially in Latin, the Latino community. I'm an immigrant, uh, immigrant from Mexico and older age. And, and knowing that my accomplishments are not mine, but they are for the community and the people surrounding me. And eventually will inspire another girl in another remote village and you don't ever know where. That's what that gets me out of bed every day. Oh, I love that. Especially the commitment to it not only being yours. It's not, it is your success, but it's the success dedicated to your community and others and those that follow you and probably your daughter as well. That's so precious. I want to get into it with Hedera first. To our audience members who might be listening and have never heard of Hedera or are still learning about it for the first time, can you both chime in and educate us on what Hedera is? What does Hedera bring to the Web3 ecosystem? We'll start with Betsabe. Hedera is blockchain that is governed by the council members, owned by council members and governed by council members. It's the only enterprise blockchain truly dedicated for enterprises. But I can tell you what I joined Hedera recently is because of the breadth of the council members. And we have council members like IBM, Google, Boeing, ServiceNow, and other ones. And the team, the team itself. Hedera has hired amazing, some of the smartest people in the industry and had brought other people in the industry. And Hedera is here to really show that blockchain has real use cases. I think that it's still, um, it's, there's a little bit of skepticism about what is the benefit of Hedera, but I think Hedera is pushing forward and highlighting those amazing cases and are truly making a difference, whether it's on supply chain management, on the ESG sector, or on the financial inclusion area. So I join because Hedera does have those use cases. Wonderful. And later on in the show, Betsabe, I definitely want to ask you about your experiences as they pertain to Web3 and the blockchain. Your story is an interesting one. I'll make sure we touch on that. Nilmini, what what other angles do you have to share with us about Hedera and what it does? Well, as Betsabe so nicely mentioned, Hedera is a unique blockchain for enterprises because of our governance structure. It has these amazing companies on the council that are making sure it runs well and is um, efficient and secure. So it's it's a it's a very different sort of structure. And another, in addition to what she's saying about like the great people that, that work there, one of the things that really drew me because of my interest in energy was that it's so energy efficient and really kind of a sustainable blockchain because it uses so little of energy. And it uses little energy because of the technology that Hedera is built on. And it, it, that makes, I think, it very special. It makes it less expensive to use. It makes it good for like if you're doing tons of transactions and it makes it a great place to build solutions that can benefit 
the climate and help us address what is this a uh, major crisis for for our generation and the following one. That makes a lot of sense. And Nilmini, you've done a lot of work and energy and bringing energy to millions of people who've never had it for the first time ever. I'm actually curious to understand a little bit more about how blockchain technology and the technologies that Hedera is building and thriving on, how do we leverage blockchain technology and Hedera to contribute to creating like sustainable energy solutions globally? I love that the question of how do we have blockchain help energy and because it's they're so intertwined, right? You can't have blockchain at all without energy. You can't can't even get on. So they're inextricably linked. What I find exciting about being in the blockchain space is that we're at the very beginning of this. It's like a green field of potential. And so I don't think we have all of the answers of things that that can be done. But I think we have a glimpse into like how the future can benefit from blockchain. And some of those things include, you know, transparency into transactions, like being able to pay very clearly for small amounts of electricity that might help people that don't have big sums of money to pay up front for installations or for fees. It could be ways to use blockchain to even do investments in in products and structure the finance of it. I think that there's a lot of potential solutions out there that we are just getting into. One thing um, that our chair recently spoke about at the World Economic Forum in Davos was around digital ID. And just thinking about like, okay, how can we use blockchain for digital ID solutions that can help people access accounts? to set up access to electricity or access to finance in ways that they haven't been able to so far. So I think that we have lots of potential out there to make a big difference in getting people both access, new access to electricity, but also like better access to to electricity. Because there's a lot of places in the world where they have some access, but it's not consistent, or maybe it's really expensive. There are lots of improvements that we need to make in the whole sector. Yeah, and I think that's a perfect segue to considering financial inclusion and how that works globally. Betsabe, I'm really curious, in your experience in traditional finance and coming over to decentralized finance, what opportunities are there for financial inclusion using Web3 blockchain and Hedera technologies? Well, I have to to share that the reason why I'm was very intrigued and I moved to the Web3 and blockchain is because exactly my experience in financial inclusion. In financial inclusion, um, in my times of Citigroup, um, I, I remember being the early innovators. So the, the American Express of the world and the MasterCards and the Visa, the true fintech, the true innovators of that time. But we always had limitations because of technology. How do you really tailor specific products for different demographics? for different generations? How do you make it easier and more accessible when you have this big overhead, whether it's in a bank or an institution? I mean, you do have the overhead. It's very difficult to get up. You need the technology. So because of that curiosity of, yes, we're doing the right thing, but we are not really impacting the life of others. We still see people in Latin America or in Africa at the time. And I'm talking about 2012. It was very impressive, the work. And I was very proud and I'm still very proud to be part of the team when we helped Grameen to 
open offices in Queens. And then when microfinance started with the early ones with Kiva and so and so, that was the promise of microfinance. So then you start seeing, is that the product, the right one? You are giving a loan that they actually need a loan, but what is the interest rate? Then you have limitations of who are going to buy that product. And then you start thinking about job creation. Yes. You really need to create job creation. Then we started to get into the gig economy. How you bring jobs to, there are all these amazing groups that start breaking down the gig work and start like sending to Africa how you talk photos. So how do you start cleaning data? And this keeps evolving in a way that financial inclusion is not only, okay, let's create an financial product and you use it. It's not that. It is how you build an ecosystem around it. It's how do you help people to learn? How do you, what are the products that enables that capacity building and access building? What is the job creation and who is in your neighborhood? Who is in your ecosystem that will help grow it? So to me, that all summarize what Web3 and blockchain is. And I started early on because I was very passionate about, okay, as a Latino, most people were looking at my skin, hearing my accent, or listen, looking at my last name. You are different. But that doesn't mean that I wasn't able to accomplish the job. So how can I start creating a way that my projects, my accomplishments are mine and I can share with others at my, at my decision? So that's the ledger. That's the blockchain. The potential of Web3 is just blow my mind and in ways that I cannot imagine. And in terms of financial inclusion, I still, I can tell you that every month I still do remittance to my family in Mexico in seconds, literally. And I go to my husband and hi, I love blockchain. I don't have to talk to bankers. I can pay my mom's bills and everything in seconds. I couldn't I do that without blockchain. Yes, I love that. I read all about that and how so many populations that were underbanked or just bankless in general, with blockchain technology, they were enabled to make transactions in seconds when it would normally take weeks or days. I love hearing your story, <laughs> your energy that you bring. You brought up a lot of use cases there. But Nilmini, I'm going to turn it back to you. You were a senior advisor on Capitol Hill, and you spoke on Coindesk fairly recently about the implosion of FTX. And there's this weird sentiment and feeling and culture. There's obviously, there's always like people spreading the word, spreading misinformation. How do you see the government's role in shaping the future of blockchain and cryptocurrency? And are there any policy developments that you're most excited about that can sort of speak to this fear that people have about blockchain or cryptocurrencies being easy to hack or having bad actors? Oh, thanks so much for that question. It has been a very hard policy environment after the FTX implosion, and it has conflated a lot of issues around blockchain and crypto and fraud and negligence and you know, bad actors. Because when things go bad, it's not necessarily the technology that was at fault. It was the actions of people around it. So really separating the two and looking at the potential of the technology and how do we regulate that technology and how do we re regulate actions related to that technology is so critical. When we think about like, what is the government doing? What's the government's role in blockchain? It's interesting because so many governments are taking a different tack, right? So you have some people in the US government, like the SEC, really looking at enforcement action. 
you have the White House with its recent, the Office of Science and Technology Policy at the White House recently put out an RFI. Responses are due today about what they should do on research related to blockchain and crypto. So different parts of the U.S. government are looking at things very differently. And you have Capitol Hill looking at potential legislation, um, maybe on central bank uh, digital currencies or stable coins or, you know, different different topics there that are being considered. So the U.S. government in itself is diverse in what they're thinking about. But then you look at other countries or other jurisdictions, and it's like very differently handled. Like Dubai just put out new rules on regulation of digital currencies that are very clear and straightforward. The European Union came out with Mika, which is a framework for looking at digital currencies. It's not finished. There's new layers to go through it. And it's really interesting. Different entities in the EU are doing like sandboxes where they're bringing together um, innovators in the crypto and blockchain space to talk to them about what are the use cases for these technologies and how can we make sure that our regulation promotes the best use of those technologies. So there's a lot of diversity out there. Thank you so much. I haven't even, I, I was telling Michelle before the show, I texted her. I was like, I'm so excited to talk to them because in previous shows, I've had a lot of knowledge about the subject matter. And this, these, both these subjects, financial inclusion, crypto regulations, it's something that is harder for my head to understand, <laughs> harder for me to understand. And you're both putting it in ways that are so easy to digest and understand. You brought up earlier supply chain. And you brought up earlier some of the different benefits and the unique governance structure of Hedera, passing it back to Betsabe. Due to this, this governance structure, can you tell us a little bit about your role as chief financial officer and, and treasurer and how it differs from other companies you've worked at? That's an excellent question. And I will tie it a little bit to the question um, that you just asked to Nilmini about um, the regulation post FTX. And I mm -hmm. think that one conversation is still we don't hear enough is financial and operational controls post FTX. So the difference of my role right now is that, and I can say that very happily, that I have so much support from board members and council members to do the right thing. There is a strong focus to actually adopt enterprise-grade financial controls. But um, in prior roles, I have a long, I mean, I've been an entrepreneur and an operator. I've been in old from pre-seed series to um, M&As to pre-IPL. And going through all the cycles of building and growing a business, it always finances on the back burner. So there is no surprise why you have all these challenges. And it's like, well, there were not financial controls. Because the ecosystem, the financial and economic incentives, it is just grow, 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 grow. If something breaks, fix it later. But perhaps the materiality of that mistake is so huge. And what I've been trying, advocating from the second half of my career, is that we can, ecosystems, startups, and companies can actually, like early stage companies, can actually function with proper controls. Build foundation early on with proper financial controls that you can fly later. Otherwise, what I have seen constantly is companies stopping, investing millions of dollars pre-merger, millions of dollars pre-IPO, 
and you are still very up with manual processes and high risk. Again, it's not a surprise that we keep coming in the history on those issues. Like we said, we're doing the Enron issue. We keep seeing in all these collapses that it always comes down to financial controls. So my role this time is different because the importance of having good financial controls, the support of the board, the support of the council members, it is a front. So I can really work closely to the regulator, to the auditors, to pre-auditing and so on, to actually get the things done properly. Uh, and it's very refreshing. Yes, it's, it's a lot of work, but um, I love doing it. The other thing that is different is because we are a governing council, we are a governing body. So we don't have, we don't do sales. We, we don't have engineer marketing as I used to have in other roles. It is a slightly different. It is more about those controls. And that's why I put a front on this conversation control, because it's really what I'm doing right now. And when the, the part of the treasury is really how understanding how the ecosystem works, ensuring that there is a transparent communication and transparent allocation of, of the assets and the usage of the assets of Hedera, of the ecosystem. Eventually, I, I keep telling my team and as I meet more people, I said, my success would be that I'm completely not needed. The goal is I'm completely not needed. Everything is automated, 100% permissionless and decentralized. That's when I'm finally successful in this role, which is very different from other yeah. roles. When in the startups and in, in the public companies, the, the dependency on CFOs for communication to the capital markets, for always being guided in certain strategy. When my role here in my North Star is to make sure no one on my team is ever needed. Wow, I love how you flipped the script and really changed that narrative to be such a powerful thing. Something that my user research team and my design teams have always talked about was this idea of being replaceable or unneeded or invisible. And mm -hmm. I love that you also agree in, in a financial sector. Like I've never imagined, you know, that's the beauty of decentralization, right? If it truly works, if the system truly works, then we don't need those people that have to regulate over those controls. And same with user experience research. Like if I, my, my goal is to make, is to not be needed, that our products are accessible and that they're usable and friendly. So love that concept. Calling all early stage crypto, blockchain, and Web3 startups, teams, and builders. Apply to Coindesk PitchFest, powered by Google Cloud, and pitch live on stage at Consensus in Austin this April. Winners will receive two VIP Piranha Passes to Consensus 2024, featured coverage on Coindesk, and an invitation to present at Coindesk's Private Investor Summit, Ideas 2023. Learn more and apply at consensus.coindesk.com slash pitchfest. You've both brought up so, so many different topics, benefits, real world use cases for blockchain technology, and especially what Hedera is doing. So speaking of this beautiful concept of my job is to make sure that my job is not needed. I feel like that is so much introspection and it's such a different mindset. Nilmini, I'm so curious about how you weave in your practice of yoga and mindfulness into something so different, policy work, regulation. If you guys have listened to my podcast before and everybody who listens knows, I am a huge mindfulness advocate. And I would love to understand 
how you both or how you know many incorporate those concepts and those ideas into your work? I have been meditating since I was a child. I was raised Buddhist. My family's from Sri Lanka. And I'm, I've gone to lots of mindfulness events with my kids here in near Washington, D.C. And I was trained as a mindfulness teacher. Oh. So I have really enjoyed uh, teaching um, both adults and kids. I find that mindfulness can be so powerful in any human interaction. So it comes up um, a lot in work and especially in policy because it's so fraught. Like people are bringing their whole selves into policy discussions and they feel very passionate about it. And there's like different layers of things going on that sometimes you don't always see between the egos mm. and the other needs. Um, between the egos and um, the the need to succeed and different pressures and everyone has different incentives in politics. It's not even like a an argument within a company. We're all trying to same, achieve the same goal. We might have different ways of achieving it. But in politics, we don't all have the same goal. So it can add layers of complexity. So I feel that mindfulness can bring so much to those interactions. It can help slow the interaction down so that it doesn't kind of over uh, boil over. And it, it's a, an opportunity to like bring this stillness and peace that makes people kind of comfortable reaching out of their comfort zone, right? So if you're calm and uh, not anxious, it helps make them calmer and, and more trusting. Um, and it's, it can be easier to find a solution. And then you can also bring your own mindfulness of like really thinking about like what kind of space, what kind of incentives, like what kind of pressure is this other person in front of me facing? We used to work at the White House. I was the director for the G8 back when there was a G8. And it was at a time where a lot of the other members of the G8 were really angry at the United States for going into Iraq. And and in those discussions, it was really like, how do I interact with these people as people? Because if I interact with them as a representative of a country, we're not going to like agree on anything. But if I if I connect with them as people, I think that we are going to find some agreement on things like, you know, non-proliferation or giving money to global health. I want to bring up a, a quote you just said, mindfulness is so important in any human interaction. And you just mentioned you were in a room where there's people from different countries. It's very tense. You have to make important decisions together, whether you agree or disagree or not. And I think that this transcends, as you mentioned, any human interaction to bring a calm, less anxious demeanor to a meeting is so key to interacting with people who are so different from you, people you've never talked to before, people who, who don't know who you are. And I think that's something I'm definitely going to take and keep. And I wrote your quote down. I was like, oh, that's so good. I need to remember that everywhere I go, even with my husband and talking to my baby, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, I, I'm breastfeeding. And when my baby like bites my boob, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> but I, t <laughs> I yeah. take it. I take a deep breath so that I have more space for love for him. That breath is so important that just that one singular breath to just catch your, your thoughts and really center can like completely changes the environment and how you interact with others. 
Betsabe, I saw you nodding while Nilmini was ah. talking. Just want to see what thoughts you yeah. have. On- what, what, what's coming to my mind is like, I didn't know that about Nilmini. So now I understand why she's so smart and poised all the time and calms down. <laughs> and it's incredibly interesting to see how people from many different diverse backgrounds and not only uh, countries of just the way that we think, because the way that I exercise my mindfulness is different. For me, I always connected, I'm not really good at sports, but I connected like the energy of exercising and being outside. So for me, it has been um, the running part. I do yoga, but I like it when it's super sweaty, <laughs> super hot yoga with lots of people, the energy. And the other thing, of course, as a good um, crypto person early on, EDM. So to me, it has been a big part. Yeah, all the EDM yoga, running, like the energy itself is what has helped me to really find within me my own uh, center with my heart and also maintain what I, I actually also was not in a lot because a lot of what Anilmani was talking is about empathy. Like we need to really be learn to be empathetic and bring our true self and humble and empathetic, empathetic in everything that we do at the workspace. And that's very opposite of when I was early on in banking. Everyone is natural, going it, eat everyone, like just go, 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 go. And I think now the older I am in my career, I'm more like, I don't need to go, go. I just need to be who I am and, and be happy where I am. And not only in the place, but in the space that I am. So that's why I was nodding a lot. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much. And you're right. There's so many different ways to of, of us of thinking and and practicing mindfulness and practicing what makes our body feel good. Like apart from mindfulness, just what makes my body feel good? What makes me feel good? And um, what ties me back to who I really am, my authentic self. Thank you so much both for such beautiful and often vulnerable positions to to have and to, to bring and to um, prevail in your lives. I'm going to start closing out the show, but what I really wanted to understand from both of you is, do you have anything you'd like to share to any women who are listening who have never even spoken to a CFO, who have never spoken to a chief of staff, someone who's ever worked in the White House. What advice do you have for those women who are listening, who are thinking about going into the Web3 space, who are thinking about shifting careers, or who want to be involved in some way or form? When I decided to shift into Web3, I kept telling myself the same thing, which was, I belong. Like, this is a new space. There's no one that belongs here any more than I do. And so if someone's looking to move into our space, you are going to be at the front end of this. We're still beginning. You have the opportunity to be one of the the OGs, one of the original girls of, of Web3. So definitely come in. What I did when I decided I was going to go into Web3 is I looked up every event related to blockchain or crypto policy. And I just went, like I bought my ticket and I just showed up and I acted like I belonged. I would just like smile at people and then start talking to people. And I would read up everything that people in the different events were referring to. And after a while, I started to get to know people and people would think of me when they would would talk about jobs. And I, I learned about different companies. And after a while, like I, I, 
I did fully belong. And so I would encourage people just to remember that they, they do belong. They should feel comfortable in themselves to remind themselves that they belong and remind others that they belong. Thank you for that. Vetsave, excited to hear your opinions as well. Yeah, I definitely agree with Nilmini that um, one of the best ways to learn Web3 is to go into conference and be curious, talk to people. I just talk to people, ask questions. Web3 is very welcoming. And it's very interesting because I have worked with the most women in Web3 that I've ever done in my, financial, my traditional financial services and fintech career. And I'm so happy to see that change. And incredibly smart, amazing women that um, is, is very, very refreshing and rewarding. But I will say that generally for anyone that is planning to, to do a, a switch, a change, you need to take calculated risk. Nothing, you, you cannot just make a change without knowing something is going to be impacted. For example, when I was working at Citigroup and, um, and I was senior and I was in San Francisco and no one wanted me on the tech world because you don't have tech experience, you don't have staff experience. So of course I had to do an next strategy, which I go and take like several um, seniority lower and kind of reinvent myself. So what I come into is you need to constantly reinvent yourself so that you can really fully understand what you want and how many superpowers you have. And if you don't reinvent yourself, and you don't keep asking and being curious, you perhaps are missing out in a lot of things in life. And the other thing that I would love to share, because that has helped me a lot in my career, every time, I mean, it's normal, you're going to question yourself. I question and sometimes I keep questioning myself. The older I am, the more I learn. Uh, I don't know anything. <laughs> keep learning more and more and more. But learn to rely on your network. If you have built a good network, they are your mirror. They will truly tell you and listen, no one is self-made ever. You have the people around you. So it's truly about that, who you surrounded and reinventing yourself. That is what I, I would recommend anyone. And it's a scary route. Yeah. But there are always ups and downs. You just need to go through it. Thank you both so much. Such epic stories, incredible advice. I was taking notes the whole time while listening. And I'm so excited to broadcast your voices and amplify your stories. I wanted to share just how grateful I am to have you both on here. Thank you so much for your time and energy. And just to pay it forward, I, I made a small meditation practice for both of you. Just considering your stories and how far you've come and how, I know you said there's no thing as, there's no such thing as self-made, but both of you, you made complete shifts you navigated the waters the best way you could, and you navigated waters that a lot of women are not even close to treading or seeing. And I'm so excited for the future of Web3 and all the women that are going to be inspired by you to join into this space as well. Um, so we're going to do a two-minute mindfulness practice. And this week's meditation is really focused on coming back to yourself in any time that you need to and remembering how incredible you are. And as Betsave had so wonderfully said, finding out what all your superpowers are. Let's start our meditation by relaxing the jaw, relaxing the shoulders and the back. And let's take one deep breath in through the nose and slowly out through the mouth. Good. Really want you to bring attention to the body 
You can close the eyes if you feel comfortable or find a soft gaze in front of you. Find a nice deep breath one more time in through the nose and out through the mouth. Now you may be sitting here having a million thoughts through your mind or maybe the mind is quiet. Just want you to notice what's going on in the mind and the body without judging yourself. And as the mind quiets and as the body comes down and gets heavier and more relaxed with each breath, I want you to focus on all the superpowers you have. It can be little or small. It doesn't matter. Maybe it's that you always remember to do the laundry or to turn off the light or to make sure the water is off so you're not wasting water. Those are so, so important to remember in your daily life. Maybe your superpower is just being a lending ear to a friend. Maybe it's pitching and receiving millions of dollars for your company. Whatever it is, I want you to realize that you bring unique value to every room you go to. No one in this world is you. So it's important for you to raise your voice, to speak up. Because you are your only you on this planet and we want to hear what you have to say. Take one last deep breath. And I hope you go through your day realizing that you are important, you belong, and you have a special purpose and amazing superpowers. So show them to everyone you can and have a good week. And that's the meditation. Thank you for joining everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yes. I want to thank everyone for listening to the Women Who Web 3 podcast. We are everywhere that you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to leave five stars and we will see you next week. You've been listening to Women Who Web 3 with host Kamala Ancantera. This show has been produced and edited by Michelle Mousseau. Executive producer is Jared Schwartz. Our theme song is All Night Long by Lunera. Cams would love to hear from you. You can reach out to her at cams, K-A-M-Z, at womenwhoweb3.com or podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, Women Who Web 3. Thanks for listening. <laughs>